Imagine a world where the old stories told by Indigenous American people are true, not just back then, but now. A world full of ghosts, monsters, spirits that can transform from humans to animals, and teenage heroes who find their own power and use it to protect their families. Darcy Little Badger, a member of the Lipan Apache tribe who holds a doctorate in oceanography, earned acclaim in 2020 with her first young adult novel, Elatsoe, a murder mystery about a teen who can raise the ghosts of animals. Her new novel, A Snake Falls to Earth, draws together storylines about a human girl investigating her family's history in Texas and a cottonmouth snake spirit finding his way through the parallel reflecting world. Darcy, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Oh, I'm just so happy to be here. <laughs> so you studied geological and geophysical science at Princeton and then oceanography at Texas A&M for your PhD. So what made you decide to become a writer? Uh, so actually, I've, I've always wanted to be a writer. And I say that because even before I knew how to write as a baby and, you know, a little toddler, um, my parents would read me picture books and I'd, I'd copy what I saw in the picture books by scribbling on construction paper. And in my head, I was thinking of these stories. And of course, they were illegible because I didn't know how to, how to do letters yet. But when I went to Princeton as an undergraduate, my original goal was to become a writer uh, <laughs> and to study writing at Princeton. And this is actually a story that I tell a lot because I do think it, it helps um, especially young writers deal with rejection. I applied to the creative writing certificate program there twice and uh, got rejected twice. <laughs> so <laughs> it, I reached a point where I realized I wouldn't have enough time to do the certificate program. And I had to decide if I wanted to continue studying English or as a sophomore, whether I wanted to switch interests. And that was about when I took this introductory oceanography course. Uh, and uh, we went to Bermuda to to kind of learn what a research scientist does. And during that process, our professor took us to the Sargasso Sea, uh, the open ocean. And I, I realized that I knew so very little about this environment that made up so much of the planet. And that just fascinated me. So that's when I, I switched focus in terms of, you know, my academic um, studies and, and went to geosciences and uh I looked at sea level indicators and plankton. And, and then as a PhD student, I actually studied the transcriptomics of uh, red tide forming plankton called Karenia brevis. Uh, but through all, all that, I was still writing in the background because despite those rejections, I still knew I wanted to be a writer. I just had to do it my own way. Uh, and I ended up publishing short science fiction fantasy stories in magazines like Strange Horizons. And of course, writing science fiction and fantasy found myself inspired oftentimes by the science that I was studying as a student. Uh, so it, it was actually, I'm, I'm grateful that I did get that opportunity to kind of switch focus because even in fantasy books like Elatsui and A Snake Falls to Earth, I find myself drawing upon that background of like environmental sciences and um, the ocean and things that I, that I know just from the science side of things. Uh, and I, I do think that every day I kind of want to learn more about the world because nobody knows everything. And uh, even though now I'm a full-time writer, I, I will never stop trying to learn. 
So yeah, long story short, y'all rejected me. <laughs> but it does, it is something that um I, I think it's a good a good story to tell just because as a writer, you know, you do have to deal with rejection a lot and not just like rejection from programs, but writing short stories. Oh, you get tons of rejections before you publish something and trying to get an agent for a book, you get rejections. And it's important just just to have the sense of perseverance and not let things like that stop you if, if you really want to be a writer. And for me, just this this other path that I found turned it out to be the best for me. You had another story, I think, about perseverance and maybe maybe you could tell it since you just hit on that that point yes. um, about your father, right? Yes. Um, so uh, my my debut book was published in uh, September of 2020, uh, and I have to go back in time a little bit and just talk about the impact that that my father had on me becoming a writer, um, because my dad he was the chair of the writing department at WestCon. Um, and before that, you know, he he was getting his PhD in English. And, and throughout all that, I was a little kid who wanted to be a writer. And he was actually the person who would edit my very early stories. The, the first book I wrote, uh, I was in first grade. <laughs> so as you can imagine, there were some grammar issues. There's some spelling issues. Uh, but my dad, who was, who was getting his doctorate, um, uh, he actually sat down and he edited it for me and explained what the edits in the book meant. And then he went a step farther and uh, he showed me how to submit my book for publication. And I got a really lovely rejection for that. Uh, seriously, they were very supportive. They were like, oh, this kid wants to be a writer. We're going we're gonna to be nice about this rejection. But my father taught me to be proud of that. Um, I, he actually framed that rejection and said that someday when you're a writer, you, you're going to want to see this and how far you've come. And this is something that that you should be, be proud of putting yourself out there. Uh, so he always supported where I wanted to, to go as a writer, too, because I, I'm, I'm big into science fiction fantasy like like my mother. Um, my dad, he was you know into Shakespearean lit. But that didn't stop him from saying, yeah, if you want to write sci-fi fantasy, do it. <laughs> uh, so when Alatsui was actually accepted by Levine Carrito uh, for publication, that was actually when the, my family learned that my dad uh, had terminal cancer. In fact, it's mesothelioma, uh, which is cancer caused by exposure to asbestos. Um, so my father is a young man, he, to pay his way through college, and as an undergrad, he actually wanted to be a high school teacher of, you know, Spanish and English, so that's what he wanted to do in college, and in order to uh, pay his way through that, he, he did several things, like construction, uh, he worked at a steel mill, he painted houses, and all of these might have been uh, potential exposures to asbestos, and in fact, uh, we were told that perhaps multiple exposures are what increased his risk. Uh, so throughout this, I guess, debut year process, we were actually as a family um, trying to, you know, support my father as he fought this, this very terrible cancer. Um, so before Alatsoi was published, I was asked to be on a podcast and it was a podcast for writers. And, and in fact, it was for, new writers and aspiring writers, people who wanted advice, in other words. 
And I, I went up to my father because he really is the, the wisest man that I know. And I asked him, you know, when you're working with your students, what do you think they'd want to hear from a podcast like this? What can I talk about that would help them in their journey? And it was, it was difficult for him to speak at that point. Um, so he took this long pause uh, and, and he was thinking about the answer. I could tell, and, and then he said one word, and that was perseverance. Uh, and that's something that I, I did talk about, and it's something that I think is important, not just when it comes to writing, but just in life in general. Uh, I, I know it's something that that he was he was the type of man who would, you know, we had a lot of difficulties as a family, but he would always have so much love for us that we did get through these things together. Uh, so that that actually is, is something that I, I, as a personal philosophy of mine, perseverance and hope, and it's something that my father taught me in, in every aspect of my life. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, I want to ask you about the family threads, because both mm-hmm. of these novels have very strong threads about family. And, and I found mm-hmm. it interesting because so often when you see these are young adult books, and so often when you see stories about teenagers, you see them breaking away from their families and growing on their own. And of course, that's part of being a teenager. But but here we have these teenage protagonists who are very close to their parents and grandparents. And Ellie in Alatsoe feels very close to her sixth great-grandmother. And that this family history that stretches back so far seems to give them strength. So I was wondering, you know, it sounds like from what you just described with your father, that that was definitely a part of your experience growing up. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that and maybe how that translates into these books? Yeah. And and it is, as a person working primarily in the young adult field, when it comes to my novels, uh, something that's really cool, I think, about writing for the young adult audience is that these are, these are readers who are entering adulthood really for the first time. They're, they're going through a lot of new experiences, a lot of new responsibilities for the first time. And so that theme does play a, a strong role in many books. And oftentimes that does involve being in some way separated from that, that family net that as children we uh, depend upon. But in, in a lot of way, actually, the parents, Ellie's parents, because she's a 17-year-old teenager living in a world very much like ours, uh, which means that she has to ask permission to drive off and do an investigation in a library. And I, I wanted her parents not to impede her investigation, but in many ways support it, because she is investigating the murder of her cousin. That's family. And that's something that her parents, they also care about deeply, too. And in many ways, that's, I, I feel like I, I wouldn't be at this point in life if I hadn't had that support um, from my parents. And as you know, uh, I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm a gay writer and just having that support from my parents and my marriage and stuff has just meant so much to me. And I feel that I'm, I'm lucky for that. And so in these books, these characters happen to be like me and that they do have this, this system that is helping them reach their goals. But also in A Snake Falls to Earth, there's this other thread uh, in that the, the main character, Nina, who's the human character, she's looking into a story that was conveyed to her by her great-great-grandmother. And this story actually has 
at first she doesn't know what it means because it's in the Lipan language. Um, and that's not something she speaks fluently. Uh, but as she uncovers more about it, she realizes that this story from the past, generations in the past that's been passed down actually affects how her family is going to survive in the future. And it happens to be in a magical way. But this was inspired by my own experience um, because I am Lipan Apache. Um, my, my father's Irish American. My mother is Lipan Apache. I'm enrolled in the Lipan Apache tribe. Uh, and much of my personal culture was maintained because of the strength of my great grandmother, my great great grandfather, people who during that very <laughs> dangerous time in our history during the 1800s, even into the early 1900s, um, they maintained our culture and passed that down eventually to me. And, and there actually is this, I call it a prayer. It's something my great-great-grandfather would say every morning. And he spoke it in the Lipan language. And we have this very incredible oral tradition, not just storytelling, but knowledge in general. So he that prayer was actually passed down um, through my family and in my, in my generation, some of the meaning of some of the words had been lost, but the way they sounded, the way they were spoken was maintained so well that we were actually able to put the meaning back into them. So now we know fully what that prayer means uh, because it was in Lipan and, and our language has a lot of holes. We are going through the process of a tribe of, as a tribe of restoring the language. Uh, but that experience of reclaiming what could have been lost and what is very important like culturally and spiritually just because of of that kind of that family chain of passing down that knowledge I, I did want to convey that in a snake falls to earth of course i didn't use an actual our actual ceremonial prayer uh instead uh, inventing this story that that nina's great great grandmother told to her but i mean the concept is is pretty much the same can you tell us what the prayer is now i'm curious I can say that it it involves the sun and and that's because the sun and I you know what's something cool is it's not just lip on people um who have this this connection with the sun um so but it, it is our specific uh version of it um and yeah it's something that I'm trying to do every morning when I wake up in the morning which is <laughs> Super common, but I'm trying to get there. Sometimes it's in the afternoon. It should be in the morning, though. I, I do try to to say this just because, like, I myself, you know, struggle a lot with speaking the language. I know I knew a few phrases, I know a few words, but it's something that I'm actively learning, and that that does help, you know, kind of also keep me me grounded and connected um, to my culture. I definitely wanted to ask you about the connection to the Lipan Apache storytelling and traditions because they appear so much in these books. And, and I was curious about, you talked about the oral tradition, learning this as you're growing up. How did you learn these things and how are you incorporating them into your books? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> and I, I, I failed to mention that in addition to reading a lot of picture books when I was young, uh, my mother would tell me lip on stories. And, and these are stories that I really haven't, I've maybe found a couple of them in, in written down, but most of them really aren't written down out there uh, because they were told through that oral storytelling tradition. 
And a lot of them involve a lot of fun characters, especially Coyote. She told me a lot of Coyote stories and they'd go on adventures. And I, 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 it just inspired my imagination so much hearing these. Um, so in A Snake Falls to Earth, Ollie, the, this cottonmouth spirit character, a lot of the, the fantasy world that he lives in and a lot of the structures of his chapters are inspired by those stories I heard growing up that would involve these animal people um, with interesting personalities. Uh, but even like in Alatsaway, for Ellie, a lot of the important stories involve her sixth great grandmother and the, the cool things that she did a long time ago. Um, and, and in a way that that reflects just the importance of stories in conveying history, um, like my history, but the history of other indigenous peoples, because like, you don't always find those in the history textbooks. I, I can't say I went to high school in Texas and um, you know, Texas is part of our homeland. We're, we're a state recognized tribe in Texas. And I, I learned nothing about the Lipan people, but I knew our history just because I'd heard it <laughs> from my mother and actually other um, Lipan elders and, and knowledgeable people who I knew. And that that is important. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I think in your in your books, it sort of fuses together because we get, you know, a teenager who's doing research on her phone, we've got a teenager who's doing how am I describing this? It's it's sort of blended together. They're they're in a world where the old stories are closer. I'm not doing a great job of describing this, but I think as I was reading the books, I was thinking, I thought a lot about how world building is part of so many young adult novels and, and adult novels as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you seem to have something that I think J.R.R. Tolkien did not have, which is a deeper, deeper roots to the world that you're building. It feels more real. It feels deeper, more of a deeper connection with the spirit. Does that make sense? Oh, that's the feeling. So yeah, like that. That's the feeling that I got as I was as I was writing it. And so it's interesting. Like I was wondering if there's anything you can tell us about how how you do that, how you bring those threads together in your books. For me, a lot of it is writing what I know. <laughs> and uh, one one way that this this appears that's not conscious, and, and yet I, I guess it is. Uh, my stories and my books tend to take place in Texas. And that really is because of this kind of intimate connection with the land and the area that actually extends beyond me, um, generations before mine, uh, because, you know, my mother, even my father, he was also Texan, but on my mother's side, you, you go back, we can go back as far as we can. And we've always, you know, we've lived here um, since the Lipan people came down from the north. Uh, and I, I, in a way, I, I, I'm not much of a planner, so I'm not exactly sure how, how the world building happens. And all I can do is hope that, that readers like it and connect to it. Uh, but it is easier for me just to write what I'm familiar with. And that includes this, this cultural foundation that I was brought up in, uh, the stories that I grew up hearing and reading, uh, and the, the land itself and, and the people who live here. Um, thank you so much for compliment. I'm, I'm glad as a writer, you never, you ne never really know how people are going to receive the stuff you create and just kind of hope for the best. And, and I'm glad that my, my world building um, does connect with at least some readers. <laughs> 
Well, it seems to be connecting with a lot of readers. You've won huh. a lot of awards now for these oh, books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of best book lists, right? And most recently, the Locus Award. So, yeah, you seem to be getting a lot of a, a lot of attention for these, which must must be really exciting, right? Oh, it, it really is. Um, and what I what I hope for just publishing this book is that it would find some readers. Um, and just the fact that it's received this overwhelmingly positive attention, uh, first of all, has blown me away. Like when, when my editor called me, it, it's an interesting story because A Snake Falls to Earth was on the, the National Book Award long list. And at, at the time I was in California, West Coast time, and I also slept until like 2 p.m. Um, so my editor called me that afternoon and, and told me, it was like, oh, you're on this, this really cool long list. I was like, oh, what's that? It's like the National Book Awards. It's like, whoa, that sounds really neat. And it turns out that just looking at the other books that was on there, it was, it was just a huge honor. Um, but unfortunately, like he'd been, people had been asking him all day. It was like, how did Darcy respond to this? See her fancy book up there on that, on that long list. Um, he had to tell them that I tended to sleep late, but it, it's, I would say that the reception Alatsoe received actually empowered me in some way to uh, really dig into the, the story of my heart for Snake Falls to Earth be because it is told in a way that is highly influenced by Lipan Apache storytelling structure. Uh, um, everything from the, the chapters from Ollie's perspective that can be almost standalone stories but connect to a larger plot to just... Um, the way that there are multiple potential, I guess, endings, uh, it, it's not really that three-act structure. Um, and I feel like I, I, I wasn't sure whether people wanted to read that type of story when I was a young writer. Uh, and, and just seeing that readers from all backgrounds and you know, all age groups have connected with Ellie's adventure uh, open my eyes that there are people who want to read about <laughs> uh, live on teens going on uh, fun fantasy, you know, shenanigans with all their friends. Um, and, and, and for me, that's what's been the greatest part about this reception. Well, and that brings me to uh, my request for is, can I ask you for a sneak peek? Do you have anything else in the works? You just did two books in a very <laughs> short period of time. So no pressure. Oh my gosh. But is there anything I, else on the horizon? Oh boy. I wish that we did this, this interview just a few days later because I'm, because like, you know, with writing, there's always like, you have to first write a contract and then you have to wait a while for the announcement. So I can say that things are in the works and we're getting very close to me being able to talk about the next thing. Um, uh, people who enjoy it a lot, so will probably very, be very happy about this next thing. And that's pretty much all I can say at the moment, but there's something in the works. And I did just submit like five short stories, to different sci-fi fantasy anthologies for anyone who's, who's into that. Those should be coming soon. And let me ask you too. So there are a few sort of, you know, like when you write for young adults, you know, kids are learning as they go. And so there are a few threads mm -hmm. that I can think of, you know, things that you're, you know, kind of bigger messages, but is there anything in particular that you are hoping that your readers come away with as um, they're reading yeah. these? Yeah. And the, the first thing is when I was a teenager, like I was super shy and, and didn't have any friends until like college. And I finally managed to make some friends, but reading books, 
just gave me this sense of, of solace and happiness. And I, I hope that readers can find some of that reading my books as well. Uh, so that's the primary thing. I just want them to enjoy the books uh, and, and their imaginations to be happy as they're reading it. Um, the second thing is my books tend to, even, even when they touch upon dark subjects, I'd like them to end with hope. Uh, I'd like readers to take away just this feeling of hope for the future, for their future. Um, and, you know, as, as a, a geoscientist who often I would study things related to climate change, I get how there's a lot of uncertainty about the future. And, you know, things are going to be difficult. And in A Snake Falls to Earth, the main character is actually dealing with some of the ramifications of, of climate change in Texas in the near future. Um, but, uh, something that I say a lot is I do think it is my responsibility to fight for the best possible future that generations after mine can experience, um, and, and not, not to give up. And, and so hope plays a big role in that. And it also ends up playing a big role in my books. Uh, so that would be the second takeaway. Well, say, so thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. No, thank you for inviting me on this podcast. I got to say, it's it's a dream of mine to be on a Princeton podcast. Um, oh, and I should mention that I just married this year, um, T, the veterinarian, and we met at Princeton undergrads. Um, so I, I, I'm, I am very grateful for my time there. <laughs> oh, so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Maybe we'll go to a reunion someday together. Be like, hey, remember us, everyone. <laughs> We're married. Oh, you, de you definitely should. Podcast is a monthly interview podcast produced by the Princeton Alumni Weekly. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. You can read transcripts of every episode on our website, paw.princeton.edu. Music for this podcast is licensed from Universal Production Music. <laughs>